ladies and gentlemen, listening from around the world, we are live! Welcome to this episode of Tailgates and Teasers! And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, introducing your host, Drew Werner! It's time! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode five of Tailgates and Teasers. I'm your host, Drew Gorder, and today I'm very excited to have a special guest on the show, Adam Robinson. But before we get there, we got to shout out our sponsors, Broken Bat Workshop and Pure Effect Golf. Be sure to use the code TNT10 at checkout with the Broken Bat Workshop for 10% off your order and code TAILGATES, all caps, for 20% off your order at Pure Effect Golf. Um, like I said, we got a special guest, Adam Robinson. He is the Laney College wide receivers coach. Most of you may know him from Last Chance U Season 5, uh, which was released on Netflix on July 28th. And Adam Robinson played a big role. Uh, there were a lot of key players, Dior uh, Walker Scott and RJ Stern, that were featured, and he was their coach. So looking forward to having him on today talking about his experience, Laney College, being a coach, being a former player, and uh, all the above. So with that said, let's get into it. All right, with me today, uh, Laney College wide receiver coach Adam Robinson. Adam, thanks for coming on the show, bro. Hey, thanks for having me, Drew. Um, give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself growing up, You know where you come from, talk a little bit about your journey as a player and how you got into coaching. So I'm from Hayward, um, born and raised. I went to Moreau Catholic High School. Um, didn't really get recruited by you know, schools that I could go to academically, didn't do the best of jobs there. Um, so I went to Laney after Coach Beam recruited me, uh, stayed there for one and a half years. I was able to get my AA degree after, uh, after my third semester there. So I was able to, to graduate early. <clears throat> and then from there, I went to Kentucky State University, which is the D2 HBCU out in Frankfort, Kentucky. Um, I graduated with a bachelor's in science in physical education. And then uh, as soon as I was done playing, I came back here. I coached one year at Moreau. I was the varsity QBs coach. And then uh, my brother graduated. My brother graduated from high school, and he was looking to come to Laney. <clears throat> coach Beam was looking to make a uh, uh, an addition to the wide receiver coach spot. And he asked me before my brother committed to make sure that uh, he didn't sway his commitment or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Or after, excuse me, after my brother committed. And so once my brother had already committed, uh, so he just he just asked me and brought me on. So I left Moreau. What was it like? I know you said you played quarterback and then you, you coached quarterback uh, at the high school level. But what was it like that transition to wide receiver coach at the junior college level? Well, the biggest issue was definitely, you know, learning the technical side of it, right? Because, you know, I played eight years of competitive football, never made a single catch. 
So um, <laughs> from an X's and O's standpoint, it wasn't an issue because, you know, playing quarterback, you got to know what everybody's doing, right? But um, definitely the technical aspect. I didn't, I didn't have really any experience in that. So it was a lot of, a lot of studying, a lot of had to, you know, read up on it and ask other people definitely. So that's, that's been the toughest part so far. What was your experience like playing under coach beam compared to coaching with him? You know, how did, how'd you end up back at Laney? Like with coach? Um, <laughs> it's actually not that different to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> Always coach beam, you. Uh, yeah. Coach beam, <laughs> coach beam has, you know, high standards. He's got high demands for the people that, you know, he works with players and coaches. So, right. um, the only problem now is that when I get cussed out, it's not my fault. <laughs> the kids <laughs> just did it. So it's, yeah. it's the guys that are screwing up. Like, I'm getting, you know, cussed out, and I'm not the one who dropped the pass. So um, at least when you're playing, it was your mess up that got you reamed. <laughs> Would you say you level yourself out compared to um, Coach Beam when he's, like, chewing dudes out? Or are you more the chill coach? Or how would you describe yourself as a coach? Well, I think, and Coach Beam says this, and, you know, in our meetings, it's, it's quote unquote our job to baby them, you know, talking to position coaches. Coach Beam's going to set the standard and he's got to, you know, make the demands and, you know, what kind of attitude we're going to have as a team. And it's our job to manage, you know, the guys in our individual group. So right. if you got the boss man yelling at you and the, you know, lieutenant, it's not going to be, it's not going to be great for the kids. Right. Um, what is your main goal as a coach and why do you enjoy it so much? Uh, my main goal as a coach is doing what I'm doing right now. It's, you know, it's paying it forward. You know, like I didn't going through high school, I didn't have that many people, you know, super gung ho about it. You know what I mean? Like my, my journey was not, you know, it wasn't no five star or nothing like that. And, you know, I got to where I'm at because of a select few people, you know, a couple teachers, couple coaches that really believed in me, you know, helped me get to the next level, Coach Bean being one of them. And so I want to be, you know, especially as a teacher now, I want to be, you know, that guy that helps, you know, that kid Paves like myself. Exactly. I want to yeah. ha- be like, you know, Mr. Robinson, Coach Robinson really helped me, you know, reach goals that I didn't think I could reach when I was younger. And so I want to pay it forward for the kids like me. That's awesome. How hard is it uh, being a junior college coach, knowing that these kids come in, they have two years to basically prove themselves and it's either they go somewhere and they continue like we were talking about, um, or it's the end of the road for them. Does that put pressure on you as a coach to, you know, make sure every guy gets their touches kind of, especially in the last chance you season, we were able to see it with, uh, you know, a couple of the featured wide receivers with Dior and RJ, uh, making sure everyone gets their touches so they have that opportunity to move on to the next level. Right. And it's, it is really tough because, you know, our number one job as coaches is to get these kids out and get them on, you know, get their school paid for. Right. But second after that is we trying to win. And so, um, yeah, the two-year turnover is really tough because, you know, you start getting into a situation where, like you saw on the show last year, you know, we're not racking them up in the wins column. 
season, starting to get a little bit lost, a little bit lost. And now, you know, winning's completely out the window. Now guys are out to get their tape, get their touches. You know, they have to separate themselves for, you know, the coaches who are giving the scholarships away. And it's, it's difficult because you can end up with some selfish guys at times. But, you know, it's selfishness out of necessity almost. You know, so you can't, you get frustrated, but at the same time, you understand that these kids are, you know, they're fighting themselves and each other for these, these scholarship spots. So it's for their it's, future. Yeah. Exactly. It's scrappy. Um, in the last chance you season, you know, when the offense was struggling, uh, how hard is it? I know this is another one of those questions, but how hard is it as a wide receiver coach knowing that, you know, your first four string quarterbacks go down? And I quote exactly what you said here. You brought, you brought your guys in the huddle. You said, guys, we're on our fucking fifth quarterback. How hard is that as a coach, like, you know, trying to pave the way as we were just talking about, but knowing that it's hard when you got a fifth string out there throwing your guys the ball? Yeah, no, and, and you guys saw in the show that not only did we run out of quarterbacks, but, you know, our top wide receiver target now has to step in, you know? And right. that kid hadn't played quarterback since his junior year of high school, and it's, it was it was definitely a frustrating situation because, you know, I thought we had some serious talent at the wide receiver group. Um, we didn't really display that we had, you know, four real good freshman receivers that are all coming back this year. Um, and I think we, we should have done a lot more. We could have done a lot more. And you saw when Ryan came back, Ryan Mackey, our starter, we did, you know, better. We moved the ball, but just the, the cohesion, the chemistry never got there, you know, getting injured in week one. It just, and like, you look at, you look at it the first week we played Modesto, we lost that game off of week one style mistakes. You know, we threw three passing touchdowns in that game, you know, for however many yards. But, um, and that was the culmination of all the summer, all the spring work, you know, and the training camp work. And we showed it. We threw three touchdown passes. And then, you know, you get into Kenny the next game. Kenny did what he could. He got hurt. You know, Carson had the shoulder injury. And then the other kid quit, which didn't get shown. But um, right. it was just, it was real real crummy situation. So let's kind of transition here to how you guys blew up a little bit on Last Chance U, uh, which you can watch on Netflix. It's season five. What was the biggest takeaway that you had personally from that show? Uh, To be honest, I really didn't know how big it was. Like, I didn't know how many, like, I understand that everybody's got Netflix, but you only think about this country. It wasn't until... You know, a couple of days ago, I got tagged in something from uh, Laney College Eagles fan page, Spain. Spain. <laughs> like there's some dude, there's some random dude <laughs> in Spain just running a running a Twitter fan page for us, wow. and like it's just it's been yeah, and seeing the love, especially being you know close with RJ and Dior, um, right. two of the featured guys, seeing some of the stuff they get, some of the stuff that they text me is is. It's wild, you know. People reaching out from Russia and China and a bunch of languages they don't understand. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, is it different when cameras were on you guys all the time, like specifically in that season, compared to maybe three or four years ago when you know there was no media or constant attention from the outside? 
Yeah, hundred percent. Um, what was the difference? It was, uh, well, you don't like to say it, but you know, the cameras come out and you know, you got a chance to be recorded or, you know, immortalized on TV, whatever. And guys start acting different realistically. I mean, they're 18, 19 year old kids, obviously they're going to, you know, Mm -hmm. act up, cut up, whatever you want to call it, you know, change, you know, how demonstrative they get or whatever. But, um, and it makes for us as coaches, we definitely were more aware of the things we said, you know, I'm sure you've had coaches in the past, say some, you know, right. Definitely less than than polite things to you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got a microphone under your shirt and a chance that this is going to be seen by, you know, 20 million, however many million people watch this show. Right. Uh, he definitely, you definitely double take on what you're going to say. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely, definitely made an impact big time. You think guys like uh, Dior and RJ, and I'm sure there's more receivers, but those were the two featured guys. Do you think they use that as another way of a recruiting tool? Well, yeah. So the reason they release it so late in the summer, like it came out, you know, last week of July, is so that, you know, it doesn't really impact recruiting or tries not to. Gotcha. You know, so we were supposed to start training camp, I believe, August 5th this year. And so all the football players from around the country that have been, you know, hitting us up would only have one week to try and get out the laning, which is, you know, smart for them. Because otherwise, you know, the amount of dudes that we've had hit us up is astronomical. But, like, we obviously can't take everybody because we're not East Mississippi. We're not Indy. So, right. and not to mention, it's like, you'll have the occasional, like, three-star, four-star guy that's like, man, you know, I want to come to you guys, you know, says all the right things. You guys coach your staff seems to really care. And you're like, no dude, you want to be on TV. Like, and I get it. And then you got, you know, the little five foot two wide receiver from like yeah. Massachusetts that wants to come out. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know, what's, you. <laughs> what's actually crazy is, uh, there were a few people I posted, you know, yesterday that you were going to come on the show and I'm not even kidding, dude. There were probably five or six receivers. They, that hit me up asking, Hey, can you put in a good word for me? I know you're talking to the coach from Laney. I'm I'm dead serious. That's just yeah. crazy how that works, man. Um, yeah, no. But anyway, real quick, what what was it like winning a national championship in in the year of 2018? Is that just like a great feeling as a coach, as much as it would be as a player? Or like, because you've been on both sides of the ball now, now a coach and previously yeah. as a player. Um, what was that like for you specifically? I would actually say that it was probably more rewarding as a coach, to be honest with you, because as a player, yeah, you could, you know, you might have been MVP of the game, you might have been the dude. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was in charge of, you know, I had, in that game, I had eight guys, and all eight of them played. So That's awesome. Um, and I had a guy who we recruited from McClymans who had his ups and downs, you know, off the field and on the field, and he caught two touchdowns in that game after he forgot his helmet in the locker room left his helmet at the school state championship game left his helmet and caught two touchdowns but um it was it was a pretty incredible feeling but it was also really nerve-wracking because that game ended up 40 to 35 and we were up 23 to nothing in the first quarter so uh we jumped on him a little bit but man it was and for for me personally i'd never i've never won anything like that you know, a championship at that level, you know, 
college. I've never, never won no conference titles or nothing like that, or even made the playoffs. So uh, that was my first even taste of that, really. And to win it, you know, especially being you know closer to home, we didn't have to get on like a ten-hour bus ride or nothing. It was, yeah, it was an awesome feeling. Is there a different? I feel like if the show specifically focuses on it. Um, but I want to get your opinion on it. Is there a different, you know, character or mindset that comes out of uh, guys that go to schools in cities like Oakland? I know, like, did you know, for example, um, that Dior was working late at Wingstop or that Rajon Wright was traveling from Stockton two hours every day or, you know, RJ was had that, you know, hungry mindset consistently? And, like, just give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the whole basis of the season was it's, you know, the polar opposites of those other two schools. Those guys are staying on campus with scholarships, getting their stuff paid for. Mm-hmm. And these guys are really, you know, they're actually doing the stuff that you saw on the show, you know. Right. Some of it, you know, obviously they pick and choose what they show. But, like, yeah, I knew Dior was leaving practice, going straight to work. And he was not the only guy in my group. I had to let. You know, every position group has their guy that they have to let go a little bit early for practice, whether it's to go to night class or whether it's to go to work. Yeah. You know, like Damar Johnson. Damar Johnson was, he worked in Boston Market every night. You know, he was a track star, so I didn't have to run him in conditioning, you know, but he got to leave conditioning early because he had to go to work. And that's just, you know, that's how it is, you know? Yeah. Uh so why is like gentrification such a problem for student athletes, especially in the Oakland area? Um, I know that that was a big part of episode, I think six or seven part of last chance you, um, I want to get your thoughts on it specifically growing up in the Bay area. And now, you know, being around all the dudes who have been grinding, working hard through it. And then, yeah, just give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's just the growth of the area. And I know I said it, in the show, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was, you know, it's just the tech boom around here. Right. And, you know, gentrification is, it's kind of a, I don't know how I want to describe it. Like you can't get, can't get mad at people really, you know, like people are moving here for jobs that are in this area and they got the money and they're, they're getting paid the salaries to afford that. Like you can't get mad at them, you know, really right. they're not, they're not uprooting people on purpose. I don't think, you know, there's no malice involved, but it's just, it's frustrating for, you know, the people who have lived here for generations and stuff like that. You know, some of, you know, a lot of our guys on the coaching staff, you know, are born and raised in Oakland, you know, and now they live here with their families. And so it's just, it's frustrating because you lose a little bit of the culture. Absolutely. Because, you know, most of these people who are coming in are moving from, you know, outside spots, you know, different places around the country, whatever. But, right. um, so it loses a little bit of the local flavor, you know, and I think, I think that's the most frustrating part. That makes sense. Um, what are you guys doing right now with the pandemic and the, you know, the coronavirus, everything going on? Are you guys able to even do anything right now or? No, we're, we're having the occasional team meeting probably about once a week. If that, um, we're still just hitting recruiting because we don't start school until Monday, as a matter of fact. So until we officially start classes, guys can go 
wherever they want. You know, they could still change schools and all that, especially if they haven't played yet. So um, mainly just recruiting. Um, we're trying to put together a plan to, you know, start workouts. So basically, our season got pushed to the spring, and so training camp was supposed to start, I believe, January 18th, and then we're supposed to play like the day after Valentine's Day or something like that. And, uh, and so we would have to treat basically this fall you know, around Thanksgiving and everything like that, like the summer workouts, you know, gotcha. and we'd have to make a plan to come back to weight train and, and, you know, go over the playbooks and stuff like that. But as of right now with campus being closed, it's, it's everything's still up in the air and you don't know what the future holds with a vaccine or whatnot. And so yeah, we're kind of just in limbo like everybody else. Do you guys have a goal or does coach beam preach a certain, uh, message to the team every single year or is it kind of vary by each year um i think it varies i mean obviously whenever you're playing sports you know the ultimate goal is win the championship and everything but i think you got to have realistic goals i think for us coming back coming back we're we're pretty sophomore heavy this year you know the goal is obviously we got to win the conference right we got to win the conference we got to beat san mateo you know, they're the only thing that, you know, really stood in our way last couple years, you know, realistically. So beat San Mateo, you win the conference, we get back in the playoffs. I think, you know, anything's possible after that. But, I mean, the ultimate goal is obviously winning, you know, state national championship. But right. realistically, short term, you know, as soon as you finish your non-conference games, you got to be city, you got to be San Mateo, then you got to take, you know, beat the rest of the guys in the conference. And so don't leave it up to the, the polling thing. You don't want to be the, the one wild card in there. Right. Um, so yesterday on Instagram, I put out a poll where people could type in questions that they had for you. And I'm just going to kind of read those off. Uh, feel free to answer okay. them however you want. But um, this one here says, what's your favorite lesson that you've learned from Coach Beam? favorite lesson I've learned from Coach Beam is to listen to the message, not how it's delivered. As Coach Beam has a lot of good lessons to teach and how he delivers them varies. But, uh, like, you saw him cuss a couple guys out. But don't focus on the cussing. Don't focus on the screaming. Listen to the information he's trying to give you. That's the important part, not the way he's delivering it. Another one here says uh, – I would love to hear about his relationship with Coach Beam off the field. So in the office, after practice, outside of the cameras from Last Chance U, what's your relationship like with Coach Beam? Off the field, Coach Beam is probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Like, Coach Beam takes care of you off the field. Like, he treats, you know, he treats us well off the field, absolutely. He's, he's super helpful. You know, he, you know, he calls he calls with updates on stuff, whether he's got a job for you or he's got a, you know, a property or something like that, anything like he's super helpful. And, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, he's, yeah. he's an awesome dude. He changed my life. And the only thing, yeah, the only thing that really gets his blood boil in this football, <laughs> everything <laughs> after that is he's super polite. Um, let's see here. If you could coach anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Jeez, I could coach anywhere in the world. I guess, like, like I don't know like exactly dream, what they're trying dream to ask. Program? 
Yeah, dream program or, or dream team that you would coach for, and then would you be quarterback or wide receiver coach? Uh, well, the dream of all dreams would be to freaking coach the Raiders back in Oakland. Dang it. But <laughs> uh, I think that would be the biggest dream. If not that, I think coaching somewhere in the South, one of those Southern schools like, you know, a Bama or an Auburn, just to experience that. Or an LSU, and, yeah. Or an LSU, one of those teams, you know, I think that'd just be incredible. And I'd probably probably stick with wide receivers. You don't have to worry about the running backs and yeah. the run game and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just it's more fun. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you think that you would be this famous from the show? This is the last question here. I don't, <laughs> I don't like that word because it makes me feel kind of, I don't know, pigheadish, but uh, no, I really didn't. Like I started this before the show came out. I think I had like 950 followers on Twitter and I got like 2,400 now. So after, you know, less than a month. So it's been, it's been weird. And some of the, some of the DMs I've gotten have been a little, you know, some cooler than others. Yeah. You Speak, know. Speaking of that, I saw Simone Biles, Olympic gold medalist, put you on her <laughs> snap story, man. She did. She didn't say anything about me, but she put the. Uh, you got to tell me. You got to tell everybody. There has to be some sort of communication going on there. Oh man, God! <laughs> I wish I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't. You know, didn't try to contact her, but she's. She's dating some dude that plays defense for the Texans or something like that. So I was like, ah, ah damn. I'll just, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my, I'll take what I can get. and I won't push it. So, but that's pretty cool still. Um, yeah, so no, my, my favorite part of the show that I just want to touch on before we finish up here is when you brought, um, I believe there was some, something going on in the sidelines um, and facing adversity in the game. Offense was struggling a little bit. And you you said the words we're a group one band one sound. Can you like elaborate on that a little bit? Because that was my favorite part of the show. Well, I actually got that from the movie Drumline. <laughs> I, <don't know> <laughs> I thought I recognized it. <laughs> yeah, I got that from because they said one band one sound. Like yeah, it's a silly movie quote, but at the same time, it's you know, like we talked about earlier, everybody's scrapped and clawing for theirs. But no matter what, we're a team. You know, and I think the situation was somebody was, you know, complaining about not getting enough balls. I don't know if it was RJ or Dior, I don't remember. But, you know, we you got to remind these guys that we're a group. You know, everybody wants to get theirs, but at the end of the day, coaches are going to come give scholarships to the best team. Right. Like, if you're a good guy on a crummy team, they'll come to find you. But if you're an average guy on a really good team, you got a better chance than being – the superstar on the bad team. Right. Realistically. So, um, and you, you just got to remind these guys that we're a group and, you know, these are your teammates. These are the guys that are going through the same stuff, you know, same things as you every day, you know? So it's, if you're going to moan and complain, just don't do it to me and don't do it in the middle of a game. Yeah. Come to me on Monday with it, and we'll discuss it, but not in the middle of the game when I'm trying to do stuff. <laughs> Definitely. Adam, man, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and uh, wish you guys best of luck at Laney next year in the season. 
if hopefully we're able to play. Oh, yeah, no doubt, Drew. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. You know, I know this is, I don't know, I'd be more than happy to come back. <laughs> yeah, definitely. would love to have you back on, man. All right. Take care, Adam. Thank you, bro. All right, man. Well, that concludes episode five of Tailgates and Teasers. Thanks again to Adam Robinson for coming on. And who knows, no promises, but uh, sounds like Coach Beam might be making an appearance here on the show sometime in the future. Uh, There's a lot of cool giveaways we're going to be doing coming up pretty soon. So if you haven't yet, be sure to follow Tailgates and Teasers on Instagram. Uh, Stay tuned for updates on that. Look out for some sports talk and updates on our predictions for the NBA postseason as well as our mid-season awards for the MLB that'll be coming up very soon. Quick teaser, my next guest coming on, he's an undefeated, up-and-coming professional boxer with 13-0 record. He has six knockouts. He's ranked top 20 in his weight division in the country from Sacramento, California. He's the co-main event on the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones fight card this November. His name is Blake McKernan. He goes by the Beast and he will be taking on two-time former world champion Badu Jack from Mayweather Promotions. So looking forward to having him on, chatting it up a little bit, and getting to hear his story. So with all that said, thank you for listening, tuning in, and until next time, I'm your host, Drew Gorder.